Thanks for joining us for this podcast from the Arctic Institute. I'm Tom Fries, and I'm speaking today with Ruth Davis, a senior political advisor to Greenpeace International, about the details behind Greenpeace's Save the Arctic campaign. The campaign can come across as something of a blunt instrument, and in this interview, Ruth explains the nuances of Greenpeace's plans and how the Save the Arctic campaign fits into the broader portfolio of the organization's work. Ruth trained as a botanist at Kew Gardens and Reading University, and she has worked for nature conservation and environmental NGOs in the UK since 1997, managing biodiversity conservation, water protection, and climate change programs. Ruth joined Greenpeace UK in 2010 as a senior political advisor to their campaigns on climate, forests, and oceans. She has extensive experience as an advisor on international environmental policy-making processes, including the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and EU environmental legislation. I hope you'll enjoy our interview. The message that Greenpeace uh, seems to be trying to deliver via the Save the Arctic campaign is coming across a little simplistically. It sort of seems like, you know, polar bears are good and shell is bad. Stop shell, save polar bears. Um, Is that accurate? And if not, why do you think it's coming across that way? Well, I I think I'm not going to make any apology for the fact that we absolutely do want to stop shell in the Arctic. We think what they're doing is is unsafe and reckless and unnecessary. And that actually we care very passionately about the Arctic environment and the animals that live in the Arctic. So um, to a certain extent, uh, you know, what you're saying is, yeah, it is simple. It is simple at that level. And actually that appeal that goes out to millions of citizens across the world is one that they understand and is one that engages very actively with um, people who have a really deep-seated concern for the natural environment and for the future of the world that we all live in. However, having said that, um, I do think that a campaign like the one that we're running has to operate at all sorts of different levels. And it would be um, arrogant and really unacceptable for us to pretend that there are not enormous and complex development challenges in the Arctic region, um, complex regulatory issues to deal with, challenges around how one moves from an oil and gas-based uh, uh, economy to one based on renewables, there's layer upon layer upon layer of complexity that we need to get to grips with. We don't know everything about it. We need to learn a lot about that that sits underneath what are some relatively simple messages. But I do think that the simple messages are ones that actually carry some very common and important universal values. So I'm not going to apologize for those. Um your enthusiastic supporters are generally pretty comfortable with social media, um, but Twitter and Facebook aren't really the ideal you know, venues for detailed, thoughtful discussions of what works and what doesn't and why. Um, so what are the actual policies that Greenpeace wants to see put in place in the Arctic? What evidence is there that demonstrates that these are the way to go and how might you go about implementation? Yeah, I mean, I'm a great fan of Twitter, but I'm really a fan of Twitter as a means of moving uh, blocks of information from one place to another. And unless if you're tweeting, you actually bother to open the links and read something, you know, kind of real and complicated underneath that, then you're right. It's not the the best means of uh, conducting a policy discussion, you know, policy by megaphone. Um, uh, The the policies that we're we're looking to pursue, uh, um, 
come in kind of, I, I, I guess, sort of uh, three main blocks. The first one relates to the establishment of um, a, a global sanctuary, we're calling it, at the top of the of the world in the area of the Arctic Ocean, which is currently not part of the exclusive economic zones of the surrounding Arctic states. Now, that area, as you're obviously aware, and your uh, readers and listeners will be aware, is subject to a series of territorial claims of the Arctic states expanding um, their claims to the continental shelf that sits underneath that area of the Arctic Ocean. What we're asking for is that those countries either give up those claims or if they pursue those claims, they make that a part of then contributing to a very large scale marine reserve, which would be in that area at the very top of the earth. And we would hope would be part of a much wider network of marine reserves in the Arctic region. This is not a new demand. It's not something that has kind of sprung unbounded out of the heads of uh, uh, Greenpeace activists or, or communications officers. Environmentalists have been arguing the case for a network of marine reserves in areas like the Arctic Ocean for many, many years. Um, there's a commitment under the Convention on Biological Diversity, uh, not the, uh, a strong enough one, but a commitment to make 10% of the world's uh, oceans into marine reserves. Uh, Greenpeace will prefer to see a much higher figure, but there's common ground there between us and all of the other organizations that work in marine protection. Um, and there is an ongoing and very important conversation in the United Nations about uh, agreeing something called an implementing agreement under the UNCLOS Convention, which would be the thing that would actually enable us to start creating marine reserves at sea. And that is, again, an important part of the jigsaw. So when we talk about um, the global sanctuary at the top of the world, that's an idea that has a great deal of public appeal. People can understand it. We're talking about um, an iconic part of the world, also talking about the area that is not inhabited and the area that is not currently subject to territorial claims. But we ought to see that in the context of a wider, long-standing call from the environment movement to establish a coherent network of marine reserves, which are there to protect our increasingly uh, challenged and endangered marine wildlife. And in this case, also uh, to protect the areas of ice and the interface between the ice and the water where lots of wildlife lives. So that's one part of what we're asking for. The second part is a relatively straightforward thing, which is to say that we think that there should be a ban on pursuing uh, oil, oil drilling projects um, offshore in the Arctic. We think there's a very strong evidence base for that because nothing that we've seen a company present to us demonstrates that they are capable of cleaning up a spill in that environment. And it's vanishingly unlikely that if you continue to pursue as many of the oil projects that companies wish to pursue at the moment, that there would be no spill. It would be nice to believe that that's not going to happen. But I think um, given the record of the oil industry across the world, that's extremely unlikely. We don't think they can clean a spill up. And so what we're asking for is a ban that would have to be negotiated through one of the existing uh, forums, an international forum, a process such as uh, uh, negotiated through the Arctic Council. That may look very unlikely at the moment, but we think that's the right thing to do. Um, and the third element is uh, stopping industrial scale fishing entering into those areas of the Arctic Ocean that are not currently fished in that way. Um, again, there's masses of evidence across the world that the kind of industrial scale fishing that we've seen develop over the course of this century, sorry, the previous and this century, has a devastating eff effect on fish stocks and a devastating effect on local communities. You can see around the world places where large scale um, industrial vessels have come in and effectively hoovered up fish stocks and then moved on, leaving 
in coastal communities who are completely dependent on their local stocks, devastated. So we're asking to put a, a halt to those large industrial fishing operations moving north as fish moves north um, in response to the gradually warming waters of the Arctic. And those are really the kind of three major um, asks of the, of the campaign. Um, I think it's worth adding at that point that there's an awful lot of conversations that go on focused around Arctic governance, um, around who should be in control, what institutions, should there be a treaty, should there not. Governance questions are really important, but they're less important than the fundamental question about what you want the future of the Arctic to look like. And I don't think we want to get sucked into a long discussion about governance at this point. What we're saying is that some things are unsafe, some things are safe. There are some obvious things you can do to protect the environment, like creating marine reserves. Let's have a conversation about how best to put those in place. Um, and the final thing I guess I ought to add to that, which is really, really vital, is that it isn't possible to protect the Arctic or to enable the sustainable development of the Arctic or to look after the future of Arctic peoples simply by taking action in the Arctic. The melting ice, the record low sea ice minimum that we saw during the course of this weekend is not just about fossil fuels being burnt in the Arctic. Clearly, it's about fossil fuels being burnt all over the world. And so a critical part of the Arctic campaign has to be to mobilize people to increase the pressure on the whole of the global economy to reduce the emissions which are currently driving the level of climate change that is then impacting on the Arctic environment as we see it at the moment. Uh, that actually leads nicely to uh, the next question. Um, the campaign seems to be working primarily on sort of the supply side. Uh, do you believe that a movement to change norms and standards, even one, you know, even one with a successful uh, press effort, is going to succeed eventually in the face of incredible demand for further hydrocarbons? And yeah, how much you how much you go about dealing with the demand side of things? Uh, it's a really good question, and I, I, I think we've always envisaged that the work that we do in and around the Arctic is only part of a bigger um, campaign picture and actually has a kind of twin campaign, which is campaigning to reduce oil demand specifically. So um, some of your readers and listeners may have been aware of a campaign that we've been running for um, about two years now, which is uh, focused around um, trying to uh, increase the um, standards of efficiency in cars in the European Union. Um, and all about trying to get the car companies who are currently standing in the way of those increases in efficiency to change their policy. So that campaign has been directed at the car company VW, um, who have been blocking uh, moves in the European Union to impose um, minimum efficiency standards that would run out to 20 and then 2025. Um, we're making progress on that side of the shop, but we see that as completely a parallel to the sort of work that we're doing in the Arctic, because as you rightly point out, uh, only dealing with supply or only dealing with demand will not get us where we want to be. And I think we, we need to see this as well in terms of, um, let, let, let's think about it as, as, a, as a race. There are all kinds of new, um, renewable, clean developing technologies out there um, that are beginning to um, become cost effective. Our job, we feel, is to speed up 
the possibility of those technologies becoming cost effective, getting them in place, making them the right standard um, and having them deployed, whilst at the same time slowing down the speed at which we set out to ex ex um, exploit all of the world's remaining hydrocarbon resources. And in that space where we speed up what happens in deploying renewable energy and energy efficiency and we slow down the use of the world's remaining hydrocarbons, we're buying ourselves time, even a little bit of time, to deal with the impacts of increasingly uh, dangerous and alarming climate change. So that's the space that Greenpeace campaigns in. And there's never a moment when we're doing stuff on the supply side that we're not doing things on the demand side as well. Is is any use of Arctic resources acceptable to Greenpeace? Uh, absolutely, and I think it would be a, um, a, a terrible shame if people had a sense that what we were trying to do was in, in, in some way prevent um, uh, a, a sustainable future and forms of sustainable development in the in the Arctic. Um, I mean, for example, there's actually, as I understand it, very rich fisheries in the Arctic where at the moment quite a lot of the added value from those fisheries is just not being seen by uh, people in the Arctic regions because the processing of those those that, that fish that's caught locally is all happening outside of the region. Now, it makes total sense to be able to do that processing in the area where those fish are caught and to be able to retain that wealth in that area. I think also, um, you know, we're a rational organization. This is a question of looking at individual projects and individual proposals and thinking about what the environment and development implications of those are. The reason we're opposed to offshore drilling um, is twofold. It's because actually it's a it's an act of madness to decide that your response to the melting ice in the Arctic is simply to try and dig up the remaining hydrocarbon resources and burn them in order to be able then to facilitate more melting ice. And because we don't think that drilling in that environment is safe. Now, that doesn't necessarily apply to every mining activity or every form of industrial activity that might take place in the Arctic. And this has to be a rational discussion based on the individual activity and based on the scale and the nature of the environmental risk. So um, absolutely, we're not opposed to all forms of development in the Arctic. It's a place where millions of people live. Um, it's not just in public fora, but also at the United Nations that Greenpeace is pursuing the idea of a sustainable and secure future for the Arctic, as you've described it. Um, could you talk a little bit about what Greenpeace is doing at the UN? Uh, yeah, we're just at the, the beginning of having a conversation about um, whether or not the UN could play a constructive role in calling for um, more cooperative action uh, to both tackle the climate emergency, but also um, to come together to give uh, the international community support to the creation of a global sanctuary and the creation of a network of marine reserves. And we're hoping in that conversation to engage people from uh, countries across the whole of the world. World, and particularly, obviously, countries who are um, uh, in solidarity with people in the Arctic because they too are being affected by climate change and they need better action. They need faster action on climate change than the action that they've, they've got at the moment. But also to um, encourage the Arctic states uh, to recognize that there's a huge amount of um, international interest and public warmth towards the idea of um, more collaborative action uh, to protect the Arctic environment and protect the Arctic ecosystem 
systems and and to begin to in initiate a, a, a dialogue recognizing completely that decisions in the Arctic uh, will ultimately uh, be made by uh, um, by Arctic states working in collaboration with the international community um, the, the United Nations is not in a position to impose solutions on Arctic states but what it can do is provide a forum for an open discussion about what we would collectively like the future of the Arctic to look like and that seems to me to be uh, a valuable and useful thing to do so that's what we'll be doing in the course of the next year is talking to member states at the UN about that issue. Thanks very much Ruth. I um, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today and uh, you know certainly on my own behalf and on for you know for all of us at the Arctic Institute it's really a pleasure to have this opportunity. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you.